Praise to you, O Christ. And finally, turning to our sermon passage this morning, which is going to be Acts chapter 15, where we left off as we continue to read and meditate upon the Word of God, the book of Acts. Acts 15, beginning at verse number 36, and we're going to read down through chapter 16 at verse number 10. You should have a little sermon notes page in the bulletin this morning. It'll help you follow along. Uh, to see uh, the narrative here as it flows and some of the points that we want to make and think about and meditate upon this morning. Acts 15 at verse 36. This is right after that Jerusalem council that we saw and thought about last Sunday morning. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaimed the word of the Lord, and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to, wanted to take with them John called Mark, but Paul thought it best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement, so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately... We, this is the first time Luke now uses that plural, we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. And all of God's people say to these words, Amen. We come back to Acts this morning and... Picking up where the story left off, we saw that great turning point in the story, chapter 15. I mentioned that actually Acts 15 is the center point of uh, the, the actual Greek manuscript, so it's, it really is a center uh, turning point in the story. It's also a turning point because it's the last time we saw Peter, and it's also the final time that we see the centrality of the Jerusalem church. And so now the gospel is going not just to Jerusalem, the capital city, Judea, that southernmost part of the ancient kingdom, that Roman province, Judea, uh, Samaria, just north of that, that was that border uh, land between Judea and Israel in the north, sort of the half-breed place where the Persians tried to breed out the Jews out of existence by intermingling and intermarrying them. So the gospel is going, uh, has gone to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and, of course, to the ends of the earth. And that's what Paul and Barnabas had begun back in chapter 13. The church in Antioch had that great burden and great passion to preach the gospel, not just to the Jews, but also to the Gentiles, to the whole world. To the whole world. Uh, they came and reported on the grace of God as it had been manifested to the Gentiles, not just in signs and wonders, but especially in the fact that Gentile, pagan, unbelievers, those who were outside of God's promises, strangers and so forth, had come to know the Lord Jesus Christ and put their faith in him. That caused great controversy, we saw. 
There were some amongst the Christian church in Jerusalem who were also, at the very same time, uh, still members of the Pharisee party of the Jews, who said and who taught that it was necessary for Gentiles to become Jews to be saved. They had to be circumcised and to be obligated to keep the entirety of God's law, all 613 commandments. If you do all that for the low, low price of $29.99, you shall be saved. It's that easy, the, the, the Pharisees were saying. It's just that simple. What did, the God, uh, what did the apostles say? How did the church respond to the question of how is a sinner made right before God? How are sinners acceptable to God? Through faith in Jesus Christ. Through faith in Jesus Christ. And I even made the tongue-in-cheek remark that some people... Uh, uh, can't quite get on social media, they take everything so seriously, uh, that Peter was the first Protestant. Peter was the first Protestant. I said the first Pope. If, uh, Peter, if Peter was the first Pope, then the first Pope was the first Protestant. And I say that tongue-in-cheek, wink-wink, because I know that the Protestant Reformation began in the, in the, around the year 15, 17, or so forth as a Protestant pastor. I, I think I know that. Uh, but some people just couldn't take the fact that the Bible says that Peter taught that sinners are made right before God through faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. We saw that in chapter 15, didn't we? That Peter said nothing about works. Nothing about works. Nothing about circumcision. Nothing about all these laws of God. No, it's by faith in Christ alone. In Jesus Christ, the Messiah, alone. That makes not just Jews, but also Gentiles acceptable and righteous before God. And so that's happened, and now that letter has gone out to all the churches, the Gentile churches. And so we pick up here this morning with this second missionary journey. At least the beginning of it. At least the beginning of it. You see there, first of all, uh, that the second missionary journey almost didn't get going. Uh, there, was all, there, there was almost a T-10, and at the last seconds, uh, there was the emergency shutoff switch to cease uh, the launch of the mission. There's an almost failure to launch. And so you see here the desire of Paul. Uh, after some days, we're not told how long this was. There's some interval between the Jerusalem Council, and then we saw the letter was sent with Paul uh, and Barnabas, and then also there was Judas called Barsabbas and Silas. They went amongst, uh, they, they went along with uh, Peter and uh, Paul, that is, excuse me, and Barnabas to Antioch to distribute the letter that the Jerusalem Council sent. So that has happened. They've encouraged the church. They've stayed, we read that uh, notice there. Um, in verse number 35, Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. And again, verse 33, we read there that they had spent some time in the church in Antioch, teaching, preaching, encouraging, uh, strengthening, and exhorting the brothers. And so after some time, some time later, Paul, notice his desire, says to Barnabas to go back to all those churches that they have once visited, planted, uh, appointed leaders, presbyters, elders in. They preach the gospel. Sinners have been saved. Churches have been established. God's kingdom has come on earth as it is in heaven. Let's go back. Let's go back. Now we're not told why Paul had this desire. Back in chapter 13, if you go back there, of course, remember the beginning of the first missionary journey uh, that, uh, that, that Paul and Barnabas were there in the church in Antioch during a service with prophets and the leadership of the church in Antioch. And it was the Holy Spirit who said, set apart for me, Paul and Barnabas. The church laid hands upon them. They prayed. They sent them off. We're not told why Paul has this desire. Perhaps, again, they were gathered together in praying and fasting they were gathered together in the liturgy. That's what the text describes there in chapter 13. They were gathered to serve the Lord, uh, to give liturgy, to give service to God. Perhaps the Holy Spirit once again spoke and said through one of these prophets, let us uh, send out Saul or Paul and Barnabas once again. Perhaps that happened. Or perhaps it was the Holy Spirit who implanted in Paul's mind or into his heart some deep burden and desire. We're not told that. Perhaps Paul, just like in chapter 16, had a vision or a dream of, uh, of, of someone in those churches crying out, come over and help us. We're just not told. Or perhaps Paul just had the pastoral 
sensibility that he had this good desire, this good-hearted wish uh, and, 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 and desire to go and to serve those churches once again, to see, as he says there, to see how they are doing. We're not told exactly the mechanisms, the mechanics, the specifics of how Paul had this desire in his heart to say to Barnabas and then to, we see, go back out. So whether it was a prophetic word or whether it was uh, some vision or whether it was some spirit-directed thought or passion or it was just Paul as a believer having a good desire, it was still the Lord. It was still the Lord. Good desires to serve the church of Christ, to serve the Lord, to spread the gospel, don't need, don't need prophetic voices, don't need visions in the sky in order for them to be good desires. Pastor, I want to start a prayer group. Good, good, go do it. Pastor, I want to go serve here and there. Does it, does it praise Jesus Christ? Does it spread his word? Does it lift up the gospel? Does it encourage the saints? Good. Go do it. This is a good desire of the apostle. Whether it came from some vision or a prophet or not, it was his desire to go back to those churches to follow up. But that leads to a disagreement, you see. Even in the church, with the best of desires, even in the apostolic church, with men who did miracles, with men who saw visions, who heard the voice of God, there were disagreements. Well, how can that be? How can Paul and Barnabas have such a sharp disagreement as it's described here? How did Paul and Barnabas disagree? Why did they disagree? I mean, this is the apostle and his assistant, his helper Barnabas. And these guys walk in water, don't they? Aren't they sinless? They see visions, they hear voices. Aren't these the holiest of the holy? Why was there a disagreement? They're sinners too. They're sinners too. God's grace, as the apostle once said, God's grace was made perfect in his weakness. He's a sinner too. Now why did Paul have such a sharp disagreement with Barnabas and commentators for 2,000 years, trust me, they've been saying this, trying to figure it out. Why was there such a sharp disagreement? Now, perhaps on the one hand, some have, some have speculated, well, perhaps Paul felt betrayed because on that first missionary journey, if you have a Bible map and you see they traveled from, Cy from Antioch to the island of Cyprus, from the island of Cyprus to what is today the modern-day uh, southern coast of Turkey, they traveled there, uh, and almost immediately we read that John, also called Mark, he departed from them and he left. So some have said, well, Paul felt betrayed by John Mark, that he left them, sort of, as we would say, you left me hanging, bro. Why did you leave us? So maybe he felt betrayed. Now, maybe it was also, it could be, you read there that uh, it says that he, he, he left them. He didn't think it best to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia, had not gone with them to the work. The work meaning what they have done. The preaching, the spreading the word, the establishing of churches, the, uh, the appointing of, uh, of presbyters, and so forth. Perhaps it was just that Paul thought it was a pastoral, uh, sort of a no-go zone, that we would bring along this guy that they don't know. And so perhaps he didn't want to bring someone else besides him, Paul, Barnabas, and then a third voice to churches that didn't know that voice yet. So perhaps it was just like a pastoral sensibility again. Or maybe it was that Paul was very, very concerned about the health of John Mark. What happened to Paul on that first missionary journey? It was all just revival. It was all just glowing and wonderful uh, salvations left and right. And it was churches just springing up everywhere. And everybody was so happy that Jesus' name was being proclaimed uh, against all these other false gods. What happened to Paul? He was stoned. They dragged him out of a city. They thought he was dead. They left him for dead. And so perhaps Paul thought, you know, 
I don't think John is up to the persecution that we are inevitably going to face. Regardless, if you turn your Bible with me just quickly, notice what Paul says in 2 Timothy, his very last letter uh, that he wrote before his death in Rome. Paul's final letter was written to Timothy, the one that we'll see in just a bit here. And it might seem from Acts 15 that Paul and Mark were irreconcilable. That there was this sharp disagreement to take him or not. Paul and Barnabas, of course, splits. And it might seem like, because the story never comes back to them, it might seem like that was just always the case. But notice in 2 Timothy, Paul's last letter, and at the very end of his letter in Uh, What he typically does in a Roman letter style is to write uh, personal instructions and greetings and well wishes and uh, asking for certain things and so forth. He says there, uh, verse 9, Do your best to come to me soon, to Timothy, for Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has also gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. But notice what he says. Get Mark. This is the same Mark. John, also called Mark. Get Mark and bring him with you. Why? Why? What does it say? For he is very useful to me for ministry. At a minimum, what we see there is the beauty of the gospel of our Lord Jesus, that even when believers have Sharp disagreement, even over things that are as holy as spreading the gospel and building up churches. We see at the end of Paul's life that he had a, on the, either a reconciliation with Barnabas and John Mark, or we see that it was never really about that in the first place. It was just a pastoral disagreement. But regardless, at the end of his life, He describes Mark as one that he wants to be with because he is very useful to me for ministry. It's the gospel that can reconcile us as sinners, bring us back together as brothers and sisters, whether we've disagreed about something in the church or something outside the church, uh, whether we agree or disagree about our favorite basketball player or whatever it might be. We know that it's in Jesus Christ that he reconciles us and brings sinners together. So there is this desire of Paul. There is this disagreement amongst Paul and Barnabas. There's also, notice there, verse 39, the end of verse 39 and 40, they depart from one another. There is a split here. Barnabas took John, or also called Mark, by, over, uh, by sea back to Cyprus. That's the first place they had traveled to. Uh, Paul took Silas, and he took the overland route uh, through Syria, and Cilicia, these uh, Roman regions of Syria and Cilicia. So there's a departure. There's a separation. There was a struggle, uh, and it brought them uh, to this point of one going one way and one going another way. Now, that happens. That happens in Christian churches. It's been happening since the beginning. It's happened in this very church. That some have gone their way and... Well, this guy has stayed here. And they've gone their way and done their thing. And we might say, I might say, I've stayed here and done my thing. And we go off and they serve the Lord there. And I've decided to serve the Lord here. And notice, though, the, the way in which this departure, even when there was a vehement disagreement, note the way in which they left, verse 40. We read there back in Acts chapter 15 at verse number 40 that they had been commended by the brothers, meaning the church leadership in Antioch, to the grace of the Lord. Regardless of the disagreement, whether it was sinful or not, and regardless of the split, whether it was sinful or not, they were commended to the grace of the Lord of the Lord Jesus Christ. No division, no desertion, no departure, no separation, no disagreement is going to get in the way of God doing his work. You see that here. 
You see that here. They were commended despite what they did. What, what they did. Whether it was sinful or not, however we speculate on that, they were commended to the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And note the results of this ministry. And at this point in verse number 40, the focus now is uh, especially on Paul, along with, along with Silas now, his new co-worker, and we'll see Timothy as well. But now the narrative of Acts goes to the Apostle Paul and his missionary journeys to the Gentiles. Note the results of his ministry. Again, whether or not there is sin involved in this, this vehement disagreement, they went throughout Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Strengthening the churches. So go back with me to chapter 14. Back in chapter 14 at verse 22. This verb here that Luke uh, has, has used of strengthening. He's used it before, and we'll see he's going to use it again. Uh, it's an important verb uh, in the way in which he describes the ministry. So chapter 40, 14, uh, verse number 22, on that first missionary journey, when they had preached the gospel, verse 21 says, to the city of Derby, and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and Deconium and Antioch. Verse 22, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue the faith, and saying, as we saw that famous verse, through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Then in, then, uh, in chapter 15, at verse 32, at the end of that Jerusalem council that we looked at last Sunday morning, Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. And then you have this story that we're going to come to in just a, just a moment here. Verse uh, 5 of chapter 16, describing Paul and Silas, along with Timothy now, in those churches that they had previously, or that Paul had previously gone to. So the churches of Recife were strengthened in the faith and increased in numbers daily. And then look at chapter 18. At the very end of this second missionary journey, we read uh, verse 32, 18, uh, 23, verse, chapter 18, verse 23. We read that uh, they went through the region of Galatia, Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. Strengthening all the disciples. So there's something about what Paul, especially Paul, was doing that was strengthening the churches collectively, and the disciples individually. Something about what they were doing was strengthening them. Now, of course, the language of strengthening can describe physical strengthening, physical strength, exercise, and so forth. Paul talks about that in one of his letters to Timothy. He tells him that bodily exercise profits little. It doesn't mean that it doesn't profit, but it profits little in comparison to what? Bodily exercise profits little. You know that verse? Well, I know you know the verse. What does it say? Well, you have to go look it up now. I'm not going to tell you. You need some homework. Bodily exercise profits us little. But there's another kind of exercise that gives us a lot of benefits and profit. Well, what is that? What is that? How? How was what Paul was doing strengthening, as the text has described there many times, the souls of the disciples? So let's turn over to a couple letters of Paul. Look at Romans 1, quickly. Romans 1, at verse number 11. He wants to go to Rome, but he can't, so he writes him a letter. And he says in Romans 1, verse number 11, For I long to see you. Why? that I may impart to you some spiritual gift gift to strengthen you. Well, what do you think that spiritual gift was that could strengthen them? Doesn't he go on to say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel? I'm not ashamed of the gospel? Verse 15, I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For, why? 
here's the reason why I am eager. Because I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the power of God for salvation to all who believe, the Jew first, and also to the Greek. Notice in chapter 16 of Romans. Notice in chapter 16 of Romans. At verse 25, again, towards the end, in his little well wishes and his, uh, uh, his parting blessings, he says in chapter 16 at verse number 25, Now to him who is able to strengthen you. How? What does that little doxology say? That God is able to strengthen you. But how is he able to strengthen you? What, is the, what does the verse say, brothers and sisters? According to my gospel and the preaching of the preaching of Joseph Smith. All right, make sure you're awake. The preaching of Jesus Christ. Look in Colossians one. Colossians one at verse number eleven. He's here, he's, he's describing the fact that they've been praying for the church in Colossae to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, verse 10, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God, verse 11, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. And then he goes on to talk about teaching so that everyone is complete in Christ. His desire was to teach and to preach so that everyone would be found complete in Christ. Him we proclaim, he says, verse 28, him we proclaim, that is Christ, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. So what was Paul doing that was strength, so strengthening to the souls of the disciples? What was he doing? Why are we so quiet today? What is going on here? Did we stay up last night or something? Sunday morning begins on Saturday night, brothers and sisters, okay? Uh, what, what was Paul doing that was so strengthening to, to their souls? He was preaching the gospel to them. You see that in all these verses. Preaching the gospel. They were strengthening and encouraging. They were speaking. They were preaching. They were saying that it's through many tribulations that you must enter God's kingdom. It's by the preaching of my gospel, uh, according to the gospel of Jesus Christ, he says, that brings us maturity, that brings us strength. There's something about preaching the word that strengthens our souls. And then we hear the word, and I pray that you're hearing it, and it's, you're receptive to it, and then you go away and you're thinking about it all week. You're meditating upon it all week. To remember the things that you have been taught. To remember Jesus Christ. To cling on to Christ. To know Him and His power. To know His death and resurrection. That it's in, the, in that Word and in those things which the Word describes that brings to us strength. Regardless of who we are. No matter if we have nothing this morning or if we have a lot, if we are black or we are white, doesn't matter if we have a job or not, doesn't matter what we are doing, doesn't matter who we are, doesn't matter what the sin is, the struggle that we have, it is the word that brings us strength. And what's so amazing is how Luke describes that in the context of this interpersonal struggle, strife, we might say drama, yet... Yet, the gates of hell cannot prevail against the church. The word of God is like that little pebble, the kingdom of God, like the little pebble that Daniel describes, that rolls on a mountain, and it gains steam, and it gains size, and it gets larger and larger, and eventually it destroys the feet of idols. It's that strong. It's that powerful. The word of God. And so the centrality, what Luke is saying here to us, by illustration, by this description of what Paul did, to encourage us is the centrality of the word of God in our lives to strengthen us for all the challenges that we face every single day. The word is life. 
The word is power. The word we've seen is so joined together with the Holy Spirit that the, that the Spirit, to read the word is to hear the words of the Spirit and to be Spirit-filled is to be filled with the word. Keep the word central. Keep it at the forefront of your life. Every single day, meditate upon the word of God. Not just the things that you have heard proclaimed to you, but reading it, meditating upon it. A sister in the Lord mentioned to me recently that, uh, on this point, before we move on, she, she mentioned to me that uh, she, she saw my latest book on the scriptures, on how the script, we should be confident in scripture. And she decided to get a copy of it for herself, and she began reading it. It's a very short book, and it's just meant to give you encouragement to be in the word, because the word is what gives us strength. And we can be confident that when we read the word of God, we are reading God's very word. We're hearing his very voice. And she confessed to me in tears that by reading through not just my words, but describing what the word says about itself, she confessed that she had been a lukewarm Christian for years. I always thought she was a great Christian. She confessed to being a lukewarm Christian for years and said, I read it once, I marked it up, I'm going to read it a second time. I gave it to my pastor. We're starting a Bible study at our church about the Word of God and why it's so important. The Word gives life. The Word gives strength, here the Apostle says. So there's this desire of the Apostle and all that happened there, the missionary journey almost didn't get going, but it did. And so they make their way back to these two cities and this whole region of Derby and Lystra, the first part of chapter 16, and they meet there, notice, a disciple named Timothy, Timotheus. Timothy, this disciple, uh, he has a, he's a mixed, uh, of mixed race. He has uh, a Jewish mom, and we know that he also had a Jewish grandmother, Lois, and uh, she taught, they taught him the word of God from infancy. We read that in, in uh, I think that, is that in 2 Timothy or 1 Timothy? I think it's in 2 Timothy. But Paul, described, Paul writes to Timothy to remember the things that he learned from his mother and his grandmother from infancy, the word of God. But his father was a Greek. He was uh, a Hellenist, a non-Jew, Greek-cultured, some ethnicity, uh, there, but of Greek culture. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. So notice they go to Derby to Lystra, uh, and, uh, and Timothy has this good report from at least two places, churches in two different places. They're all in the same uh, Lycus Valley, the same region, but uh, he is a, uh, a well-reported man, well spoken of uh, in two different places. Now, we have to assume that as Paul goes back to these churches that Timothy was the fruit of his own preaching. Either that he heard Paul the first time through town and came to believe, or subsequently through uh, those whom they had appointed to be leaders, presbyters, and through their preaching of the word, Timothy was the result, the fruit of Paul's ministry. This is why he calls uh, Timothy throughout his letters, he calls him my son. And Paul, like a father to him, like a father and a son. And he saw something in him, something, some potential in him. And so he wanted to take Timothy with him on his missionary journey. And again, you read Paul's letters, and there's, there's a lot of the letters are from Paul and Timothy to the church and such and such. Timothy, my son, my son in the faith, he like a father. There's this great desire for Timothy and this wonderful, uh, this wonderful relationship that they had uh, as, uh, as apostle and uh, the fruit of the ministry and one who also himself becomes a preacher of the word of God. There's this wonderful picture there, this wonderful desire uh, to take him on ministry trip and to, uh, to disciple him, to train him. Uh, it's like a thousand time, thousand and one times uh, way more, way better than what I ever can conceive to do with the interns that we have. Uh, but that's what he was doing, was trying to impart something to them 
uh, for as long as they were here uh, before they left. Um, so I, I can't even remember how many, how many guys we had. George and Paul probably know. I don't know, 20-ish or so. I mean, Mike. You know, I, I remember these names, right? I mean, every time we pray for them, I just have these wonderful, pic- these wonderful pictures in my head of these, of these brothers and their wives and their kids and their, and their time here. You know, Mike. You, some, most of you don't even know, who, don't even know Mike. Jody. Uh, Shane. Brian. Uh, who else? Who else is from the past? Um, Jared. I mean, who do you, most of us don't even know Jared. Brother, uh, Dr. Dan, right? Dr. Borvin. Uh, our, our most recent uh, uh, pastor, Andrew, and uh, soon to be, we pray and trust, uh, Peter, uh, David, uh, and Emma, uh, all across the, all the way across the world. They've already had church, by the way, David and Emma. They're in New Zealand. Uh, they've already had church. Uh, it's, it's the next day for them. It's, it's Monday already, so they're, he's probably taking a day off today. Um, uh, Simon, Simon, our brother Simon in, uh, in Germany. Uh, and the list goes on. And uh, just all these wonderful brothers that you, not just me, but you have played a wonderful part in their lives uh, to impart to them love and care, uh, to pray for them, uh, to shepherd them, to raise them up, to see them go out. Uh, and we pray and trust to preach the gospel, the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ wherever they go. Uh, and uh, we have our three brothers now and we're praying for them too, Chris uh, and our brother uh, Gavin and, uh, and Reverend uh, Jefferson. We're praying for them, that the Lord would send them out somewhere to find a home uh, to preach the good news. And so they find this disciple there, uh, Timothy, and they raise, Paul takes him and uh, notice he does something very strange. He circumcises him. He circumcises him. Now what's interesting and fascinating is, is this is right on the heels of the Jerusalem Council. What did the Jerusalem Council say? So again, uh, the, uh, the Christians in, some Christians in Jerusalem, who were also Pharisees, said that it was necessary to be circumcised in order for Gentiles to be saved. What did the Jerusalem Council say the status of circumcision was? It's not necessary to be saved. The Holy Spirit has also come to them just like to us, Peter said, on the day of Pentecost. So it's not necessary to be saved, but the first thing Paul does to Timothy, at least what Luke records, is to circumcise him. It's a really interesting juxtaposition. On the one hand, it's not necessary. On the other hand, that's what Paul does to him, being one who was Jewish, but also uh, with the Greek father. It's interesting that he wasn't circumcised as a baby. That means that his father uh, refused and forbade them to circumcise Timothy. And so he lived his life as a young man, as a young man uh, uncircumcised, sort of in that he would have been like in a, in a no-man's land, you know, as a half-Jew, half-Gentile. Taught the Bible from infancy, what, what, what Gentile would want to hang out with, with, half, with half-Jewish Timothy, right? And what Jew wanted to hang out with an uncircumcised half-Gentile. But yet Paul takes him and circumcises him. Why? Why? He says that we read there because of the Jews, meaning, like I said last Sunday, it was a fact that they would have been offended by all those little regulations, you know, food that was uh, uh, strangled, uh, animals that were strangled, the blood that wasn't drained properly, uh, immorality, uh, and so forth. Paul does this not because it was necessary to complete Timothy's salvation. No, it was a way of expressing liberty in Christ, but yet in love towards the Jews, so as not to offend them. The liberty that we have in Christ, the freed, the freedom from the law that we have. We are freed from the law. There's a great hymn that I remember from my, from my days, uh, my rabble-rousing Calvin, uh, cage phase Calvinist days. Um, and it goes like this. It goes, uh, freed from the law, O happy condition. Jesus has bled and there is remission. And those young guys like me who are finally freed from the no drinking, no dancing, no smoking Pentecostalism that we came out of. And we heard this hymn, freed from the law, oh happy condition, Jesus has blood and there's remission. What's the first thing we did? <laughs> kids don't, kids uh, uh, do, do as I say, not as I do. Our liberty must be shaped by love. Takes a, for some of us, it takes a lot longer to learn that lesson in life, but we have to come 
to use our liberty, not as a license, but in love, to love others. And so, as Paul would say, uh, amongst the Jews, I became as a Jew. Amongst the Gentiles, I, I became as a Gentile. I become all things to all men, to, to win them for Christ. And so he circumcises Timothy, not to, say, to save him, but so that he wouldn't be an offense, so that when they went into the synagogues, they spoke to Jews, there would be no reason for them, outwardly speaking, to object and not even want to listen because they knew him. They knew, as the text says, his father was a Greek. Note the results then. The results of this little uh, excursion to Derby and Lystra and so forth, again, was that the church was, stre- the churches, plural, were strengthened in the faith, there's that language again of being strengthened, and they increased in numbers daily. They were strengthened and they increased. If you're hearing the word from God, in this place, and it is strengthening you, tell someone. If you're hearing the word, and you're hearing from God, and that is strengthening you, and he is strengthening you, go tell someone that this is the place they want to be to hear God and to find strength. You know you hear God in this place, don't you? We hear God. We don't have to wait for that still, small voice. We don't need to wait for the lightning bolt or, or the sign in heaven. Those things may come, but we know we hear God speak to us whenever we crack open our dusty Bible and we hear him speak to us. If you're hearing a word from God and you're, that is strengthening you in this place, tell someone this is where they want to be to hear God and to find strength. And so they are there. And so they leave that place, verse 6 tells us. They went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia. If you have a Bible map, you can see this is like right up the middle of what is today modern-day Turkey. Uh, You can see that missionary journey in some Bibles. This is like right up the middle uh, of uh, of, of where they were. Why were were they there, though? They had been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Asia's off to, like, the northwest, They wanted to go from where they were and just go directly west and a tad bit to the north to go to a region they had never gone to before. No, you can't go there. You can't go west. You've got to go north. So they traveled north through Phrygia and Galatia. And then they got to a city called Mysia and they wanted to go then and make a clockwise turn uh, northeast. They wanted to make that right-hand turn on a map. They could not... The Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So they kept going north and just barely to the west, and they came to a town or a city to Troas. They went down, it says, they went down a mountain range down to Troas, which is close to the coast, uh, close to a port where there were ships. Why did they get there, I wonder? Well, we're going to find out. A vision appeared to Paul the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. When Paul had seen the vision immediately, we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. There's at least two places where Paul, especially, wanted to go. Now we saw again in verse 36 of chapter 15 that Paul's desire was to go back to those churches that they had founded and to see how they were doing. That good, holy desire that God had somehow implanted upon his mind and his heart, that desire was permissible. It was allowed and it was blessed. The churches were strengthened, they increased in numbers. So we've seen Paul wanting to do things here for the gospel and God permitting it, God giving it success, God blessing it, God prospering it. And now Paul also has another desire. They've gone to these churches that they've gone to before. They've finished that circuit. They've followed up. They've helped. They've strengthened. They've seen them grow and so forth. He's taken an extra worker along with him, Timothy. And they want to go west into Asia. No, God says. Notice, the Holy Spirit forbade them. Again, now, no. when I read that, my mind thinks of chapter 13. The Holy Spirit said to the church in Antioch, set apart for me Paul and Barnabas for the, for the missionary cause for which I'm calling them. And we read here that the Holy Spirit forbade them. Now, again, we're not told in specific words how it was. Was it through a prophet? Was it through a voice? Was it in a dream? Uh, was it just in, a, in, a, in an impression? Was it because the, the road was closed? 
Did a demon show up and so forth? We don't know. Probably all the above. But we know that the Holy Spirit forbade them to go into Asia. Now, the gospel is going to come there eventually. Don't, don't forget that. But at this moment, God has other plans. So they keep traveling the way in which it, it seems that God is leading them or God has spoken to them to go. And then they want to make this, again, clockwise turn to go back east. They probably want to travel through a new region but get back home to Antioch. That's probably on their minds. They've been gone for quite a while. But the spirit of Jesus, that, look at that wonderful phrase, the spirit of Jesus. I saw uh, Brother John this morning on Facebook said, you know, nothing, you know, uh, the... Uh, the ESV text, right, the critical text, shows us the divinity of Jesus better than the, the King James Bible. <laughs> and I was like, how can you speak against the King Jimmy, brother? I thought you were Mr. King Jimmy here, you know? But the text tells us the spirit of Jesus, right? This is the way of describing the divinity of Christ. Forbade them, didn't allow them. They make this trek, they get to Troas. Why? Because God wanted Paul to go to a new place, to go to Macedonia to bring the gospel. To bring the gospel. We see here the sovereignty of the Holy Spirit in everything. We've been seeing this theme throughout. It is the Holy Spirit who is sovereign. It's he who calls ministers and missionaries. It's he who calls sinners to himself. It's he who opens up the heart of Lydia. We'll see next Sunday, Lord willing. Uh, It's the Holy Spirit who comes upon the Gentiles. It's the Holy Spirit who gifts the church with the word. It's the Holy Spirit who's leading them and guiding them the Holy Spirit who gives strength and it's the Holy Spirit who encourages and all these things. The power of the Holy Spirit all throughout. And it's the Spirit who also at times says, no, no, you may not go there. And no doubt that must have caused some consternation, some confusion, some disappointment like it would because Paul's a human being. But yet God had a plan. God doesn't just say no, but he also says, I'm saying no because I have a yes to you to go somewhere else. He hears, he sees the vision that God had already planned for him. And immediately, right? There's no debate. We sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Now, a couple of you in this room, a few of you, I know it's Mother's Day and a lot of us are gone today, but a few of us here know this story that I once, I and my wife, Kara Jean, we, we together once had a desire. And that was not to plant a church in North County, San Diego. I mean, who wants to be here? Right? Oceanside, my older, my older brother, who was a, uh, he's a former Marine, called it Ocean Slime. Why would you want to go to Oceanside, Danny? Well, we didn't. Initially, we wanted to go to San Clemente. That's where we lived. That's where we wanted to be. We wanted to stay in, uh, in Orange County, in Southern California, along the coast. And that's where we believed that God was going to call us and use us. And uh, I planned, I prayed, I spoke with lots of people. I started to gather people, and I found a church that I thought was willing to help us or might want to help us. And then we were, we were ready to go, ready to go. It was back like in 1999, way back when. And then one day I get a phone call back on a landline, back in the days we had landlines. And this pastor from this church said, sorry to tell you that we're not in the position to, to help. There's no come over and help. And it was utter disappointment for us. And I say this in jest, but we, at that point it was, well, we're moving to Iowa because that's, that was like the only URC church that was open to us. We're going, to, we're going back to Iowa, right? Going back to Cali, you know, going back to Iowa. That's where we had, we had been for a little summer internship. We thought we were going back to Iowa, so we got ourselves ready to live in Iowa. Man, can you imagine my kids living in Iowa? I can't even imagine that. Can't even imagine that. I mean, that basement would have been torn to shreds, like in one, in one winter. That basement would have been just destroyed with those kids. So, so it was. Total disappointment. The next Sunday, the next Sunday, I don't even know if I ever told this to Paula uh, and George, but the very next Sunday was uh, 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 Bill Green, our missionary in Costa Rica, was there. And I didn't know he was going to be there. And he spoke in Sunday school, and 
he exhorted our sister church, Nescondido, a very large church, uh, to stop sending all kinds of money all across the world to support missionaries, but to plant your own church in your own backyard. Now, I don't, I don't, now, I don't remember the, who said this, but it, it was, to me, the voice of the Holy Spirit. I don't know if it was uh, Ed and Ann or Rick and Gloria or George and Paula, but someone behind us in this Sunday school class of hundreds of people uh, yelled out, plant a church in Oceanside. I think it, it must have been Ed. Only Ed would say something like that, you know. Very brash. You know, he's not here so I can say that. Plant a church in Oceanside. And we were like, and we, afterwards, we, we, I think we met Ed and Ann that Sunday and Rick and Gloria. I think we might have met uh, you guys too, George and Paula. Uh, but that's all she wrote, you know. That was, that, was, that was the voice of the Holy Spirit to us that Sunday. It was crazy. It was crazy, right? It was nuts. And I, don't, I think it was sometime later, I was doing a little, little, uh, little house visit over at the Barton's Casita, and uh, one of the two of you said, you know, we have been praying for 10 years that one of those seminary guys that went to Escondido URC or CRC back in those days, one of, one of you young seminary guys would want to come out here and plant a church. And I guess I was the one who took the bait, so. <laughs> but that was the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit forbade me to plant a church in San Clemente so that I can plant this church. That's a, part of, that's a part of why we've always, you know, we've had our doubts at times, but we've felt committed to be in this place because this is where the Holy Spirit has guided us and led us. So we see the Holy Spirit's power here. We see him forbidding one place, but opening up the door to another place. And as I mentioned a couple Sundays ago, I believe the door is still open. The Holy Spirit has opened a door for us. The gospel is not finished in this place where we live and around these parts where we live, the gospel is still the power of God to salvation. If you believe that, if you believe that, then pray the Lord would open up a door for you to speak that to someone this very week, to share the good news, the great news of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And it only begins as Paul, or it all began, as I mentioned at the beginning there, it all began with Paul having this desire, this simple desire if we desire to see the Lord glorified and our own church edified and the lost saved and justified, then let's pray the Lord would fill us with holy desires to spread his word. Amen. Let's pray. Great God, Heavenly Father, we bless you for the work of the Holy Spirit in our own lives and the life of our church, the life of the church of Jesus Christ throughout the ages. And Father, we pray that you would bless the reading and proclamation of your word today. Help us to hear it. Help us to receive it. Give us ears, Lord, that are, uh, that are eager to hear and our hearts this morning to be receptive to the planting of your word on good soil. Father, fill our mouths with your praise to go out and share the gospel. It is the answer to the world's problems. And the problems, Lord, in our age are different than an age before, but there's the same gospel, the same Savior, uh, the same God, the same Holy Spirit has the answers. And so help us to be convinced of that, committed to that, so that we would see sinners saved, see your kingdom expand, and see your name magnified more. We ask this in Jesus' name and all of God's people say, Amen. Let's turn together in our hymnal and sing together.